All right, everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. My name is Tessa. I am your honored host, and in particular today, very honored to bring you a super special guest. Um, this is Diane Dreer. She is a best-selling author, researcher, and positive psychology coach. Her books, The Tao of Inner Peace, The Tao of Personal Leadership, The Tao of Womanhood, Inner Gardening, and Your Personal Renaissance have been translated into 10 languages. Holy cow. Uh, and her work has been featured in media outlets, including USA Today, Entrepreneur, Redbook, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, Science of Mind, radio and TV talk shows, and websites on leadership and personal growth, which, amen to that. Like, wow, that's such an accomplishment. So Diane has a PhD in Renaissance English Literature from UCLA. UCLA, as well as a master's degree in counseling. She is a heart math clinical practitioner and a professional certified coach with the International Coaching Federation. Her research on positive psychology and hope has been published online and in academic books and journals. And she is currently Professor Emerita insert clap track, and associate director of the Applied Spirituality Institute at Santa Clara University, and a lecturer on the Positive Psychology Guild in the United Kingdom. So Diane, that is a lot of things that you are, that you do, that you have accomplished over this short life. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh. It's, it's really my pleasure. I feel like we could probably just do this back and forth for a while. <laughs> okay. Um, but really, truly, I feel so honored that you took the time out to, to have a chat with me today. I want to celebrate your recent publication, The Tao of Inner Peace, which is, um, I think, probably the main focus of our conversation today, although I do want to dive into um, the nuances of your human life, if you'll indulge me, and, um, you know, Anything else that comes up? <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to add to the introduction? No, you pretty much said it all, except that uh, I, I see your cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's very welcome. <laughs> yeah, she is a regular guest on the show. Oh, uh, wonderful. This is a Beha. So if you're watching online, my cat, you'll get to see her little tail. Yeah, I, I believe we can learn a lot from the animals in our world. Um, oh, yeah. The Tao Te Ching teaches us to be mindful of our connections with nature. Hmm. It's really important these days. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have animals, Diane? Um, yes, we have a cat, a dog, uh, and a horse. Oh, you have a horse. Oh, I would love to have a horse. How long have you had a horse for? Well, actually, she's my husband's horse, and her name is Darlin. Uh, he's had her for about 10 years. Before that, uh, we had Rusty. And my husband, Bob, is a psychologist, so he's he uses psychology, and uh, he communicates with the horse and has taught her all kinds of things. Uh, she uses voice commands, and she can sit, uh, you know, she can stay, rather, and she can shake hands like a dog and, you know, do all kinds of little dances. She's a Missouri foxtrotter, and she's uh, very, very smart, and very sensitive and beautiful. Mm, yes. So uh, it's important, I think, these days when we're so stressed 
to be able to get in touch with nature on many, many levels, because that puts us in touch with our original nature and not all the the stuff we're bombarded with on a regular basis. I 100% agree with you. My animals are my anchor. They keep me grounded. They give me that unconditional love and um, sometimes just want to be all up in the podcast business. <laughs> so maybe there's a lesson in there for me somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about the Tao Te Ching in particular, because this is a text that was written thousands of years ago. Um, and I believe that you're interpretation of it is to kind of bring it into this modern day lens. So I think this specific question that I have is what does it have to offer us today? Okay, well, Lao Tzu, um, as far as we know, because it was over 25 centuries ago in ancient China, uh, was living during a time called the Warring States period. Mm. He believed, as many in that time believed, that their world was falling apart. Does that sound familiar? Uh, so, yes, yes. <laughs> he found consolation in nature mm. uh, and found lessons there. The, you know, watching the water in a mountain stream, he realized that water is gentle and nurturing, the source of all life, and yet with perseverance and cut through solid rock, as we see in the Grand Canyon. Um, he believed in the cycle of the seasons that. Energy cycles, the Tao is, you know, in essence, the one, uh, all of nature. And it, it's combined with, you know, yin and yang, two different polarities, which in nature are part of the, the larger oneness. And that we human beings sometimes forget that fact. And we see either one extreme or the other and sometimes put them into uh, opposition uh, either or, all or nothing, win or lose, instead of night and day, <laughs> darkness and light, mountain and valley, all part of nature, and looking for the larger whole that includes them both. Mm. Uh, I think that we, like Lao Tzu, can also find hope and consolation in nature and realize that everything is constantly growing and changing and that one season naturally leads to another. So in the darkness of winter, there are the seeds of another spring. Mm. And uh, I think that reality, that being in touch with that nature's reality, really brings us all a sense of groundedness and hope in a, in a time that's been very challenging and dark on many levels. In essence, it, for me, it's a timeless teaching. I mean, obviously, it was written thousands of years ago. But, you know, as you're saying, it applies generation after generation. It will always apply to the humanness of being here on this planet, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the Tao Te Ching has inspired, you know, generations of real innovative thinkers and leaders throughout the centuries. Mm -hmm. Recently, I think in the 20th century, the psychologist Carl Rogers carried in his wallet a quote from the Tao Te Ching about leadership, which says, with the best of leaders, when the work is done, the project completed, the people all say we did it ourselves. Mm. The best leaders are facilitators who combine the energies and the expertise and the insights of all the people around them. 
It's a much more inclusive, democratic version of leadership than the old top-down model, which can be oppressive and sometimes violent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Well, and uh, I think, you know, as it relates to COVID, and it feels to me like now we're starting to be in this season where it might feel like we're on the end of it or we're moving out of being in things like lockdown and maybe masks bans are being lifted but i think the question is are there are there things that we can ask ourselves as we come out of this forced hibernation that can help us understand i'm sure it's like a period of hibernation so what have we learned and realized during this period of hibernation you know that's the question we need to be asking ourselves absolutely one of my friends says that we have been uh, under two years of house arrest because we have not been able to go anywhere. Um, our usual habits have been have been pretty much uh, taken away from us, deprived of, of normal routine. And so what's what's happened to us as a culture, especially in the West, is that we've been in a period of enforced yin uh, inactivity. Nation, as you call it, you know, winter uh, reflection instead of yang, which is active, busy, etc. And what's interesting is that I don't know if uh, you all have noticed this, but Western culture is very yang. We are very busy. We have lots of noise and lots of stimulation and lots of appointments and lots of things to do, uh, cramming our calendars. Mm. COVID, we haven't been able to do those things. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're forced, really, to step back and to reflect on what we've been doing and whether it really means anything to us and to make mindful choices. There are uh, some people that I haven't seen for a long time, and I really don't miss them. Okay. <laughs> and there are other people that I haven't seen for a long time, and I really do miss them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. This this uh, enforced time of yin and reflection has really made me aware of where my where my energies and where my values uh, lie. And also in terms of things that I've been doing, um, there are things obviously um, habits that I don't need to go back to. And a lot of people have been feeling that actually. There's something called the Great Resignation, where people who have been laid off or working remotely. Are, are thinking about their jobs. And now that they can go back, some of, many of them, lots of them don't want to. Yeah. Thinking this job, I was just doing it out of habit. Mm -hmm. Just going, getting up, drinking coffee, going to work, seeing the same people, you know, commuting uh, and coming home exhausted and not really feeling any sense of meaning, but it was just a habit that I'd gotten into. I don't want to get back into that habit. So a lot of people are saying, what else can I do? They're going back to school. They're changing careers. They're stepping back. Uh, and I think that's healthy. They're seeking their personal balance because our yang culture, busy, 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 active all the time, is really imbalanced and keeps people from reflecting unless they meditate and do yoga on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So now we've all been forced to ask ourselves those questions. And to be in touch with our feelings. Yeah. How do I feel? What do I need? Mm -hmm. Really need to do this. Does it yeah. 
anything to me? Does it bring greater greater peace to my life or or the planet? And then if it doesn't, why do it? Right. Yeah. And I resonate so much with what you said about the season of yin um, and the hibernation and the ability for me, it takes that stillness to be able to ask myself those questions, myself, <laughs> the many selves that reside within my head, the questions of does this bring value into my life? How does it serve me? Do I actually want to be doing it, you know, from a heart, from a somatic sense, or is it something that feeds my ego? And I don't believe that ego is something that's a bad thing that we need to demonize, but it's something that I think what happens often for me, and I know I'm not alone in this, is that the ego will start to just um, outbalance the heart or the soul sense because the soul speaks a little bit quieter. So you're right, those practices of being still, of meditation, of practice, really important to be able to ask ourselves these really meaningful questions about what do we want our lives to look like? Can we choose to live our lives on purpose? And I think this brings up my next question, which as it relates to um, anxiety, how can we use, you know, anxiety is like, a, I feel like it's such a, a broad statement and it's also a very nuanced experience. So um, keeping that in mind, how can readers use the Tao principles to deal with anxiety and find greater peace of mind? Okay. And there has been a great rise in anxiety over the past two years and anxiety and depression mm-hmm. uh, because people are feeling unsettled. Um, you know, they don't know what to expect. Yeah. They've lost their sense of certainty and stability. So what can we do? Um, Lao Tzu found a source of peace and comfort in nature. And there, so he wrote about uh, when we value ourselves as part of nature and value nature as ourselves, we're at home in the oneness of Tao. The feeling of being at home, we need that. We need this sense of, of, of security and stability, being connected to something that makes us feel safe. And there have been lots of positive psychology research studies that show that when people are in touch with nature, they it reduces their anxiety and depression. Just being out, watching the sunrise or the sunset, yeah. planting uh, seeds and watching them germinate, sprout and grow. I've just planted some snow peas in my garden. And it's amazing uh, what a small aspect of nature can do. There's something that that uh, peas and beans do. They, they know how to climb up a pole. Hmm. can reach out with these tendrils and what is it thigmo taxic uh you know and and they they know where the uh the stake the pole is and they wind themselves around it and they they reach upward and if if little plants can do that can can grasp something that gives them a sense of security and continue to reach upward we can too Tao tells us there are all kinds of lessons, small inspirations in nature that can really bring us hope, and hope dispels anxiety, gives us a sense of being at home in the universe. Yeah, I so resonate with that. I'm an avid, I'm an avid hiker um, and backpacker, and 
I always look forward to the season when I can get away for a day or two or three or four or five. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just feel so much more, you know, you mentioned this, the the ability to, to be at home in ourselves and our body is so important when we're facing anything in life, really, I think. Um, and there's nothing... I, that grounds me more than just being amongst the trees and walking along a dirt path and viewing the stars at night and seeing a giant majestic mountain in the background. It's it's like such peace, such peace. So I truly agree with you. Yeah, and there's research at the University of California, Berkeley, about the experience of awe which makes us feel a sense of inspiration, really. Yeah. Uh, and they had students, you know, divided up into two groups. One group uh, looked up at a big, tall building on campus, and the other one looked up at these uh, incredibly high eucalyptus trees and just looked up at the trees in the sky. And the students who looked up at the trees tested significantly higher in a sense of awe uh, and peace of mind, you know, a sense of inspiration. And they were also kinder. It, it made them more compassionate because, of course, these uh, researchers do these little tricks and they dropped a, a box of pencils, uh, you know, <clears throat> on purpose. And the students who had looked up at the trees helped pick up the pencils right away, you know, and, and handed them to the researcher. Mm. Uh, what does that do? Nature, nature inspires us. Nature brings out the best in us. Mm -hmm. When we're stressed, when we're anxious, we do not bring out the best in us. We can get into the stress reaction of fight or flight and, uh, you know, kind of close in on ourselves or run away or see the other person as, as a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What an interesting study, the study of awe and how to kind of measure the effects of that. That's so cool. Um, I'm also wondering, because it, it's very relatable right now, um, how can the towel help with someone's feelings of loneliness and, and isolation? Oh, okay. Well, the Tao says that the, uh, the person who follows the Tao creates harmony, reaching out from the heart to build community. And we are part of the Tao, part of the community of nature, but we're also part of the community of the people that live around us. And what a lot of us have been missing during COVID is just feeling like we're part of our neighborhoods and not seeing our coworkers, some of whom might drive us crazy, but at least they're familiar, you know, <laughs> there they are, right? <laughs> uh, we haven't really had these basic kind of regular interactions with other life forms on a regular basis. Although a lot of people during COVID have been taking walks outside or working in their gardens, which is wonderful, yes. you know, being in touch with nature. Yeah. But uh, social isolation and loneliness are hazardous to our health. There are lots of studies that show that, not only emotionally, but physically. Mm -hmm. So we really need to create community. And as we emerge from a two-year winter of our discontent with COVID, we might ask ourselves again, where do I find community? Mm -hmm. um, do I find it at work? Do I find it in my neighborhood, in my uh, dojo if I work out in the 
martial arts, in my zendo, where I go to meditate, in, uh, in my gym, in my church, mosque, or a synagogue, where I go to worship. Where do I find community? Where have I found it in the past? And how can I reconnect with that community? You know, make some plans. You know, just again, a lot of people are COVID nervous at this point because they haven't been doing this. So just take one small step. Yeah. Uh, another way to do this is to consciously connect with people that we do interact with. There's a psychologist, Barbara Fredrickson, who has done research on what she calls micro moments of connectivity, which are uh, when you wave at a neighbor driving by in a car, you know, you see somebody familiar, okay, you say hello to the grocery store clerk, or just exchange, you know, a, 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 a smile or a thought or a wave, yeah. well, what that does is actually it activates our immune system. It, it relieves stress, lowers inflammation for both people. And we both feel better because we feel connected. Mm. Again, psychologists are measuring what people uh, have known for absolutely centuries in terms of the Tao Te Ching, that we are part of a community. And then I think it's important, okay, our human community, our work community, we have kind of if, us, if we are the center of our own solar system, we have circles of, of community and support. Some of our close circle, obviously, our very closest friends and family. But then we have other, other circles that are out there further. And those are also important. We need to be part of this kind of radiating circle of community. How do we build that? And part of that community is also relating to our natural world, mm -hmm. you know, recognizing, as you say, the mountains and the trees, looking at the stars overhead and feeling connected to them as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that practice of smiling at strangers or saying hello to people that you don't know. Maybe they're acquaintances or, or yes, maybe they are like in the service industry, um, somebody at the post office that's helping you mail something or... Um, I, I have the best, I call him the friendliest neighborhood mailman. He just, have you ever seen that show Blue's Clues? It's, it's no, amazing. not that one, but I, but I know about friendly mail postal service people. You know, it reminds me of this character. He's this, I mean, we just smile at each other. I cannot help but smile at him. And he smiles back at me and we wave and I've never met him before. I don't know his name, but I do know he does the mail route and it, it brings me such great joy to have that interaction of smiling. Um, and then the other yeah. practice I like to do as it relates to um, connection with nature in terms of sentient beings, which basically is everything biologically, plants and animals and the yes. sentient beings. But um, lately it's been raining a lot in my neck of the woods and these worms are like getting smushed and smashed. And sometimes when it starts to dry out, they're like struggling to get across the street so I'll put I'll pick them up and and put them over in some soil or grass or something to just kind of help them along their way <laughs> it's I don't know if that's like interfering with the cycle of life but I feel like this poor little worm I'm seeing it struggling I think there's something I can do to um, help relieve its suffering that is my hope <laughs> well I think that's living in harmony with other life forms out here 
California, where I live up in, uh, I live in Los Gatos, which is uh, south of San Francisco and over the hill from Santa Cruz. And there's freeway 17 that goes from San Jose to Santa Cruz. And they're actually building uh, an overpass <clears throat> for animals to cross the freeway. <laughs> I love this. Oh my! You know, we have these deer and mountain lions, and you know, I mean, it's not healthy for them to go walking on the freeway. No. So <laughs> that is amazing. So, can do you know anything about how if if the animal just intuitively knows that this is a bridge for it to cross, or is there training it? Do you have any idea like how that works? Um, I think that they found a place where they on the freeway where they. Okay, animals have had pathways to go from one side of the mountain to the, the other, you know, for a long, long time. Yes. Then we built a freeway there. Right. Okay, so this is sort of, this is one of their places. Have you ever driven on a road and seen a sign that said deer crossing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. well, that's their traditional path. Okay. They, you know, they they go there. So, um this is apparently where they used to go before we had all these speeding cars there. So they're 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 probably going to get some some people, some kind, uh, compassionate souls to try to help the animals learn that this overpass is for them and it's on their regular path of crossing that that area. I love hearing this. I am, uh, I love hearing this. So my best friend lives in Germany and one of the first things, she she just moved there recently. And one of the first things she got really excited about seeing in Germany were frog bridges. So they do have these special bridges for frogs to cross the road. <laughs> Apparently in her part of the neighborhood, uh, frogs are, are quite, ubiquitous <laughs> and they need a way to cross the road um and so so i just love hearing stories like that it's so heartening i think it's so important to look to search out those hopeful um stories the solutions of okay yes i recognize that we're in um a climate crisis that's something that needs to be addressed it's scary um and also there's hope that we are finding these solutions that we're actively trying to find ways to live in harmony with nature and take care of mother nature and our planet. Uh, I feel better already. <laughs> yes, that's that's how the Tao, you know, encourages people to think in terms of just instead of my way or your way, and there are only two choices, either or. Right. Okay, we have these needs and the frogs have their needs. And how can we how can we create something so that all of our needs get met? Mm -hmm. I'll feel better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. A hundred percent. I want to talk about this kind of relates to what we're talking about now, um, using the principles of the Tao to resolve personal conflicts. And I think about this in terms of, you know, um, your intimate relationships, your coworker, maybe that kind of drives you crazy or the person on the other end of the spectrum that you just wholeheartedly agree with. And it's hard to even have a conversation with. Okay. Well, uh, the last person, um, I would be suspicious of because <laughs> all of us, all human beings are unique, you know, uh, and there's no one in the world in all history who is exactly like you or me or any one of the people who's listening. We all have different fingerprints. 
even identical twins have different fingerprints. Hmm. Uh, so, all right. So we're all unique. Therefore, we're going to disagree about something because of our uniqueness. And it takes courage, I think. First of all, mindfulness to be even aware of our feelings. Mm-hmm. Then the courage to actually say, you know, no, I disagree. And here's how, here's why, or here's how I feel about this. But because we can't have <clears throat> real Taoist conflict resolution unless we have your needs, my needs, shared needs. And if I'm afraid of expressing my needs because I feel like I'm going to be rejected, um, then then we've uh, created a situation in which one person's needs are oppressed, you know, ignored, and another person is dominant. And that's not the Tao, which is yin and yang. Um, I experienced, uh, I, I guess, <clears throat> it's a good example now. At the time, it was rather heartbreaking. Uh, when I was uh, my, in my third year of college, working my way through uh, the University of California, Riverside, and majoring in English and wanting to become a college professor. I was very excited about college. My boyfriend proposed to me one night under the stars and he was a graduating senior. It was a spring evening. It was beautiful. And of course I said, yes. And he said, good. Now that we've uh, gotten that uh, settled, I, uh, you'll, if you love me, you'll drop out of school and work so that I can go to grad school. Oh. <laughs> and I said, why can't we both go to grad school. And he looked at me and said, you're being selfish. And he broke up with me that night. Oh, good riddance, it sounds like. (laughs) We didn't have access to Mm. or something that could have walked us through a creative conflict resolution. Yeah. Because there were other options. It wasn't all or nothing, either or my future or his. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that he was stressed and worried about his future. But, uh, you know, you don't use other people to get what you want. You, you combine your needs. We both could have gotten student loans, jobs, graduate fellowships, mm-hmm. or he could have worked for a year and then gone to grad school and we could have gone to grad school together. None of that was, was, was possible because all he saw was all or nothing, either or. Mm. And so he went off to grad school in another state. And the following year, I got a four-year graduate fellowship to UCLA. Uh, And we both became college professors, but our lives took different directions because of the false dilemma of either or, all or nothing. Mm. So uh, I do not support that kind of conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Tao teaches us is to look for common ground. Mm like finding a way for the frogs to get across the road and the people to get down the road and everybody benefits. Yeah. A few years ago, and this is in my book, The Tao of Inner Peace, I met uh, Dudley Weeks, who's an international conflict resolution facilitator. And he has this wonderful process in which people in conflict become partners in creating a solution together. So um, there are some steps there, uh, first of all, to recognize <clears throat> what you need, you know, to get off by yourself and say, okay, what do I really need? Yeah. And need is different from want, you know. Mm-hmm. Our culture programs us to want all kinds of things we don't need. So, uh, but what do I really need? Mm-hmm. And then to get together with the other person and to say, and what do you need? And to share what our 
core needs are and to see if we can find common ground, shared needs. And we always have some common ground because we're standing on it, living on it. It's called planet Earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <So> <laughs> to take that common ground, whatever it is, and, uh, and find one step, Dudley calls them stepping stones, that we can take together in the direction of building on shared needs. And this, this creates a lot of new possibilities. People become partners uh, in conflict resolution, and it, it works if, you, if we can get the two individuals in conflict to say, this is what I really need. This is what I really need. Okay, where do our needs overlap? And they always do if people go deeply enough. Mm -hmm. So um, example, I guess I was a department chair in, at my university. And at one point, I, I ended up uh, having Dudley Weeks come out to Santa Clara University and give a workshop. And we all went and it was wonderful. But before that, I had read his book, The Eight Essential Steps to Conflict Resolution. And just finished it. And then uh, my one of my uh, administrative assistants came in and she was all upset about a, a faculty member who was yelling and they were both, you know, <laughs> like that. And I said, oh, good. I get a chance to use Dudley's technique. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. So I got them and I said, you know, each of them, what do you really need? What do you really need? Well, the uh, administrative assistant was overworked. And uh, the faculty member had asked her to do something, you know, to uh, Xerox something and sort something for a class that she was teaching. But she hadn't given really clear instructions. And so about when she needed it. <laughs> so she came and yelled and, you know, was upset and was almost in tears. You know, oh, I need this, you know. And the administrative assistant said, you know, was feeling oppressed. And so what they needed was something that they could create together. So they did. They created this, this uh, little checklist that faculty members could fill out saying what they needed, when they needed it. I mean, it's very simple, right? But yeah. they came up with it together. Yeah. And, uh, it helped facilitate the workload in my department. Mm -hmm. And it also, they, then they became friends, Mm. They, they built something, they, they solved a problem together, and they had great respect for each other, you know, as, as uh, conflict partners. So it works. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I actually in college, so I, I'm a communication major, not, not communications like mass media, but interpersonal communication, small group, conflict media, uh, conflict resolution. I, I that that was actually my favorite class was the conflict resolution and mediation. Um, and we did so much role playing where we would sit by side side by side, and, and our mediator would be there facilitating this conversation, imagining as if you were in a high stakes, you know, maybe like you're pretending like you're going through a divorce or something, but getting yourself as this person to settle and be able to state clearly, um, I think, I feel, I need, um, to me felt like 
the most challenging part. And of course, we're role playing this, right? So it's like um, the stakes are much lower. But I think that's important as you think about applying this to your life. Apply it when the stakes are low. Practice it when the stakes are low so that you have these tools that feel a little bit more like a well-worn path to pull from when you really need them, when the stakes are a little bit higher. That was my takeaway from uh, conflict resolution. And uh, it was such a such a good tool. I feel like I use it all the time. Especially- well, it's wonderful. Tessa, if, if everybody took that class, our world would be a lot more uh, peaceful and harmonious. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, especially like it should be a required course for um, students. I mean, even at the elementary school level or grade, middle school or high school, this was something that was really new in college for us. It was a brand new program. Um, but it's so worthwhile if you can find some sort of, even, even like a text, like you mentioned, uh, Deadly Weeks text. And I, ours was, uh, I think it was getting to yes. Mm-hmm. One of our main uh, texts that we use. Um, I'm wonder- so you wrote this beautiful book. I mean, you've wrote, you've written several books, but this is, I believe, this is the recent one that you have out right now, the Tower of Inner Peace, right? Well, actually, it's interesting. I wrote that one first, then I revised it, and it just came out as an audio book uh, a few weeks ago. Very exciting. Congrats. <laughs> the, yeah, my agent and, and publisher figured that this was the right time for an audiobook so people could listen to it because some people uh, listen to books instead of reading them. Yeah. And, um, then other people like ebooks. So it came out as an ebook at the end of last year. So it's more accessible to different people's needs. Yeah. Well, I love, I actually, with books like this, I love to do both. I love, because there's so many great journaling prompts or exercises. Mm -hmm. Nice to have a tangible book. And I'm so old fashioned. I love books anyways. I just like love the way they smell. (laughs) I like looking at the covers. I like the way they feel. But I also love the auditory, um, the listening activity, because it really just, you get all of the senses engaged in that way. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I could just I so here's how I've been using your book Diane recently and I do this with um other books like Mark Nepo's uh the book of awakening um and so I'll just kind of flip it open to a page and see what comes up that day and as I was preparing to speak with you I opened it to um page 88 which I feel like is an auspicious number in and of itself. But this rang true for me and it says, um, it's a quote from the Tao Te Ching and it says, uh, nature does not waste words, neither do people of Tao. Um, And then, so it's kind of like going down into this idea of um, like meaningless gossip, idle chatter, telephone addiction, um, and maybe now it's like uh, texting addiction or like Facebook or Instagram. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And I know you go into more detail in the book, but I, I thought this would be a fun little thing to explore together. Okay. Well, the Tao also says that those who know do not speak and those who speak do not know. So here I am going to speak about the Tao, which is <laughs> yes. But, um, I think that because of the holistic vision of Tao, 
to reduce something to words is to limit it, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, to define it. I mean, we need to do that in order to deal with our lives. Otherwise, you know, every time we saw a tree, we'd be in ecstasy, you know, in a state of awe, and we wouldn't be able to go anywhere because we'd be transfixed, you know, looking at the individual uh, beauty of a tree. So when we're taking a walk or driving our car, we, we just sort of file it away. There's a palm tree, there's a, a, a redwood tree, whatever. Uh, and we name things. Words can limit our perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happens with, <clears throat> oh gosh, with bias, you know, with racism, ageism, sexism, ableism, uh, anti-Semitism, you know, all kinds of isms uh, where we put somebody in a box and label that person like we label a pickle jar and say, this is who that person is. And reducing one person who is full of infinite capabilities to a single label. Uh, so words can limit us in, in the way we perceive, the way we interact. As a communication major, you know that, <laughs> okay. <laughs> then there's also, uh, they can limit the way we interact. So if I'm just cruising along on the surface of things with chats, um, with, you know, playing, uh, I guess, you know, a, a, a quick, I mean, there's nothing wrong with all these forms of communication. But if we're only communicating on Twitter, mm-hmm. if relating to people is extremely limited. Uh, and so, and if we're only, you know, rumor and gossip, right, uh, that's, whether it's in person or online, that again is a very limited way of relating to others and also with ourselves, because we embody our wisdom. We're more than just thoughts and words. We are feelings, you know, there's the head and the heart, right? And, or as you said, the ego and the heart. And neither one of them is wrong. It's just when they're not in balance that we have problems. And the Tao teaches us to be in balance. And the idea is that in our culture, with most human beings, which is why animals are such a wonderful, uh, you know, way of finding our balance again, words can really make us be very superficial. Uh-huh. You, can, you can see a person and say, hi, how are you doing? Uh, and oh, great, you know, mm-hmm. or fine. Everybody says fine, but <laughs> they're really not fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So that, or, or talking about some, somebody, some neighbor, you know, and two people are talking about another person, reducing that person to whatever they're gossiping about that person. With. Yeah. That really lowers our energy and, and reduces our, our way of, of relating. And what's wonderful, this is all, you know, off the top of my head, but animals can sense when we're not being honest. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if you're nervous around a horse and you're, you know, around another person, how's it going? Fine. You know, you can fool a person with words, but yes. the horse, the horse, because again, if you're riding the horse, so, you know, your bodies are in contact. Yeah. Even if your bodies are not in contact, if you're grooming the horse, the horse can tell if your energies are frantic, anxious, nervous, and upset. Mm-hmm. The horse gets really nervous too, because a horse is a prey animal and it picks up, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Energies. So when we're centered, uh, the animals around us feel better. And I think when we're centered and present, fully present with all of our faculties, other people can feel it too. Mm, I 100% agree with you. I'm thinking back to high school. My high school thesis was on equestrian therapy, and I believe it was something, this is years ago, so uh, forgive me if I don't get it just right, but I don't think anyone could prove it if I did, because I don't think I have that paper around anymore. Um, this was back in the day when there weren't computers and we didn't like type things out. Um, so anyways, it was like on this theory that, um, people who needed to learn how to walk again or had become, I, I don't know, fully paralyzed, but maybe paralyzed from the waist down, um, could use the rhythm of a horse, um, to learn the, to teach the body how to mobilize the hips, re reuse the spine and maybe walk again or maybe it was just a healing method i can't remember exactly what i came up with but is any of this resonating with you as it relates to horses for therapy oh gosh yes there's a lot that's being done now with horses equine therapy uh physically emotionally mentally um i'm a lecturer for the positive psychology guild in the uk and we just had a seminar not too long ago about what we could learn from animals and equine therapy and what's amazing is that autistic children who don't speak, mm -hmm. uh, who are feeling, I don't know, uh, nervous, threatened, whatever. If you uh, put a, a little boy who is autistic, who has never spoken a word on a horse, uh, and there's, you know, Kristen Neff, who is a psychologist, uh, her son is autistic and he's He's doing beautifully now, but when he was really young, he did not speak. He would tantrum all the time, and they raised horses on their property. And one uh, one day, the little boy went running toward this horse, and his father was afraid he was going to get trampled, but the horse was very kind. Mm. The father put the little boy on the horse's back, and the boy looked, and the first words he says, said were, nice horse. Aww. And he spoke, and the father said, my gosh, you know. <sighs> so... The father and son then rode horses together, and the little boy just sort of opened up and blossomed and developed an awareness of his body, his emotions, other people, and they developed this equine therapy practice, you know, it, where they lived. Uh, so that, and it's online, but a lot of people are finding that people who are emotionally stressed, uh, who are autistic, who are depressed, or who have been traumatized mm -hmm. get therapy with a horse because the horse is so intuitively aware that uh, and and compassionate with with a, a person who's who's been wounded or injured you know emotionally or physically. But there there's this bond of trust that helps people heal, which is really remarkable. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, I want to be mindful of our time. So I think I will let this be maybe one of the last questions, maybe the second to last. <laughs> I'll give myself an option. Um, I want to know what you hope that people will take away from the Tao of inner peace. Okay. Well, I see the Tao as being a source of hope in our world. 
bringing us back to ourselves and our oneness with nature, and helping people find hope, which is what my book, The Tao of Inner Peace, is all about, that we can find inner peace, create greater peace around within us, and then go forth and create greater peace around us. And we do this by combining the yin of awareness with the yang of positive action. And we have to have both. We have to be aware of who we are, what we're feeling, where we are, what we value, what we believe. You know, essentially, we, we need to know ourselves. We need to pause and, and be centered in ourselves. And when we are that way, we're centered, then we can listen to other people. Then we can learn from the beautiful natural world around us. And this yin and yang back and forth will bring forth, I, I believe and I hope, greater harmony for individuals and for this beautiful planet we call home. Mm, yeah, thank you, Diane. I appreciate that. I appreciate the work you do, that you're putting it out into the world, that you're teaching, that you're sharing it with young minds and um, making a difference. You're really making a difference. Um, where can people go to find you, follow you, get your book, um, connect with you? Okay. Well, I have a website, which is www.diandreer.com, and that's spelled D-I-A-N-E-D-R-E-H-E-R, all one word. Uh, and there is, uh, okay, There, my books are on the, the site. Uh, description of some of the things that you know, some of the teachings of the Tao are on the site. There's a way to sign up for my Tao of Inner Peace newsletter that comes out in every season of the year. We're looking forward to a new newsletter this spring with Tao wisdom uh, that is personal as well as, uh, you know, out there uh, to help us make a positive difference in the world. So www.diandreer.com. Wonderful. I'll make sure that goes into the show notes so that it's very easily accessible and people can find you and connect with you. Okay, I do have one last question. <laughs> because okay. I realize that as I've been listening to you speak, I am, I think I'm saying how, and it sounds like you're saying Tao. And I'm wondering what the uh, phonetic difference is, if there's any, or is there a right or a wrong way to say it? It's generally Tao, but you see, Chinese, uh, it was originally written in these beautiful Chinese characters, which has been translated into an alphabet. Yes. And, and there are also different dialects in China, different pronunciations, like there are people in Texas who sound different from people in Brooklyn in our country. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but I, I would, I generally hear Tao, you know. Okay. And it is okay to say Tao or does, is that disrespectful? Um, that's probably the American way of saying it. And the Chinese would pronounce it more like with a D instead of a T. Okay. okay. Good. I just, I'm always so curious about, uh, well, language, pronunciation, letters, and, you know, different ways we pronounce things. So, so thank you for clarifying, clarifying that for me. I was, I was, it was kind of spinning through my mind as we were talking. <laughs> um, sure. But, Again, Diane, I really appreciate your time. It was such an honor. I, I learned so much. I feel like I could do this again because I didn't get to ask you half of the questions I had planned. So maybe if you're up for it, we could do a round two one of these days. Oh, I'd be delighted to do that. And I've learned a lot from you too. And I'm, you know, 
about your studying conflict resolution in college. I mean, that, that is just so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, it was a, it was a groundbreaking. It was the first time we had the opportunity to do this at my school and it was a, it was a liberal arts school. So we were pretty progressive with stuff like that, but it was really interesting. So yeah, thank you for saying that. <laughs> thank you. Take good care. And it's been a real pleasure. Peace be with you. Mm, likewise. Peace, Diane. everyone that concludes another amazing episode of outside the studio i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life my (laughs) you can hear my dog in the background she's doing a little happy dance um so daisy enjoyed it Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media. Don't know what I would do without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic, musical genius, Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show, only place you're ever gonna hear it is right here. Thanks, you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up, and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet, to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.